This is a classic podcast from Unqualified Gamers. Hear more at unqualifiedgamers.com. I will talk about that thing that we just talked about, me talking about, and then you can talk about your thing, and then we'll say, hey, we'll see you next week, and then I have a thing to talk about for the second episode that we're going to be recording. Okay, so we're not going to record what I say, right? That's what we've just decided. I literally don't remember you saying anything before 15 seconds ago. Yeah, that's all right. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. So I did go to The Legend of Zelda Symphony of the Goddesses at the somewhere Milwaukee Theater. Wait, and just to be clear, it's the same one that you did talk about in a previous episode. Like, we're talking the same concert series? Wait, did I talk about it in a previous episode? I feel like you talked about a Zelda symphony before. In fact, I'm 95%, hmm, I'm 98% sure that you did, in fact, talk about a Zelda symphony before. Wait a minute. Listener. That's too many percents. You have found your way to Unqualified, a video game podcast. Uh, right, where two people that have no business talking about video games, other than they like them, talk about video games. That's the first time I've ever actually mentioned the name of the podcast at the start of the episode. I don't think it is. I'm 93% sure that you... So back to the Zelda Symphony, I don't remember if I've talked about it before, but I would just want to mention, if you get the opportunity to go to the Zelda Symphony, do it. I was pleasantly surprised with how much material there is from the Zelda series. Um, It was better, I thought, overall in Milwaukee than it was in Chicago. Because every time they do it, they hire local musicians. And um, Chicago obviously should have really good musicians, and they do. I'd imagine they'd be probably pretty expensive, too. Oh, to bring to move those. To, to hire, like, the best of the best of Chicago is what I'm saying. Oh, that's probably true. Well, it was interesting because I was at a dance recital of a friend's, and the girl working the bar area said, oh, you went to the Zelda Symphony because I was wearing the T-shirt. And she said, oh, my, my harp teacher performed in that. And I was like, oh, and I had to kind of bite my tongue because you could tell that the harp players in Chicago were not perfect. Um, mm-hmm. And remember, for if, listener, if you, you're not... You didn't just say the harp sucked during the concert? Yeah, I mean, should have. I thought about it. But and, and listener, just so you know, both John and I are actually classically trained. John sang in a choir for many, many years, and I was a music major for a while. But even, even if you don't have an expert ear, you could tell the harps. And to be fair... The music in Zelda is very, very harp-heavy. Uh, but what this girl said was, yeah, my teacher performed. She actually received the music earlier that day. Oh, my goodness. All right. <laughs> well, that would explain why it may possibly not have been perfect. Right. So I don't know if maybe they called up the same person that did Chicago. Well, there's two harpists featured. I don't know if they called the same people that did Chicago and had them go up to Milwaukee and they just were more familiar with it and had more time, or if they gave the music to them earlier or what the deal was. But the harp players were flawless in Milwaukee. I tell you what's probably more likely is she was the first and only person to respond to the Craigslist ad that said, Seeking musicians in Chicago. Do you do you think that the Symphony of the Goddesses of the Legend of Zelda are are found on Craigslist? Absolutely no. Okay, 
All right. But that would be awesome. Yeah, would that would be pretty epic if that was true. And I'll give it to Chicago. Chicago's brass players did a little bit better than Milwaukee. So, well, everybody knows Milwaukee's brass players are not good. Everybody yeah, knows that. I was gonna say. Do you remember that episode of the podcast we did about brass players in Milwaukee? I know, and that's exactly what we said. Well, yeah. so. Yeah. Anyway, go see it if you can. Um, I liked it. They did one fewer encore in Milwaukee. They did not play the Ballad of the Windfish. Uh, what about the encore One Winged Angel, which is always the encore? <laughs> oh, my God. You know what said? It wouldn't have surprised me if they had played that. Yeah, I know. And actually, next to this little theater was a subway, a subway cafe, which is like a subway messed with a coffee shop. Oh, I was hoping it would be a subway that's packed into an even smaller spot than subways are normally packed into because the subway takes no space at all. It was a kind of small spot, but they were playing Zelda techno remixes over the PA system, over the Muzak system, and also Final Fantasy music. So I don't know if some nerd working at Subway plugged their iPod into the into the system for that night only or what the deal was, but that, that happened. F***ing Chicago. It was Milwaukee. Milwaukee. All right, so you actually played a video game this week, which is like video game music, only it's an actual video game. Yeah, and uh, what a good segue, uh, because the game that the game that I have uh, just started playing, really just just dabbled in for about seven hours, I would say, uh, has a completely orchestrated score, which other games have done before, but this one is the first one with a fully orchestrated score that I can enjoy with the new surround zone system I have in my basement. So, um, Oh, just name drop all night on your 3d Hitachi 57 inch HD LCD ED TV. Yeah. I just said your TV has erectile dysfunction. Yeah. That's what I thought you said. It's going to request you take that back. Prescribe me something for that. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So I've been playing, uh, Nino Kuni wrath of the white witch. That's the full, title of the game i think uh in north america for the most part it's just going by nino kuni and it is a uh it's a japanese role-playing game developed by level five studios which if you don't know anything about level five studios which you probably don't i don't know anything about level five studios they are the studios that were behind uh dragon quest eight when it came out on the playstation 2 hmm. uh dark cloud and dark cloud 2 which were very popular games for the playstation 2 um for the PlayStation 3, they, uh, they've they kind of fallen off of notoriety. They had been gaining some ground in North America with uh, with their role-playing games. Uh, Dragon Quest IX was a big one for them, which uh, came out on the, the 3DS, or not the 3DS, just the regular DS, before the 3DS came out, was one of the biggest-selling games in Japan of all time. Really? Um, yeah, like in in Japan, they have absolutely no problems. They are huge. Uh, they're they're the people behind the Professor Layton games, which oh yeah, in Japan are enormous. Phoenix Wright, which in Japan is huge. Even in America, Phoenix Wright has a little bit of notoriety. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of all of these. It, it, it's so I would presume maybe our listener is familiar with Level Five. Well, they really cut their teeth on uh, Japanese role playing games in the PlayStation Two era. That's really where they they first came around uh in the west and like i said they have been losing a little bit of 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 their of their fame because they uh came out with two games called uh white knight chronicles and then white knight chronicles 2 okay and it was a single player role playing game that had some online elements but the game itself i've actually played the game it's it's incredibly boring like 
like it's like a role playing game with one of the worst battle mechanics. Just horribly boring. So really, yeah. So and and but it's it's beautiful. Like it's obvious that they put a crazy amount of time and money into that game, and it but it's just boring. So uh, they kind of they kind of have have slowed down a little bit in terms of their uh, momentum in North America. But I think Nino Kuni is going to be a big deal for them. Well, yeah, you you were shocked I hadn't heard of it, but I've still never heard of it. Okay, and and here's the reason why I'm shocked that you've never heard of it. So, uh, the game the game to the public is being pitched as a level five studios game, and uh, with animation and graphics done by Studio Ghibli. Now you have probably heard that name. No, you have. No, you just don't know you have. Studio, Studio Ghibli, Ghibli Puff. Studio Ghibli is the uh, animation studio that is. It's basically the only uh, famous Japanese animation studio in America. These are the people behind Howl's Floating Castle, Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke. Oh, Miyazaki's. Exactly. It's Miyazaki's Oh, oh, okay. So his studio is the graphics powerhouse for this role-playing game. So you can imagine, I mean, you can probably picture in your mind what a Ghibli movie looks like, right? They fucking look awesome. Like they look incredible. The animation yeah. is great. The the characters are great. And if you if you've never seen a uh, a Ghibli film before, kind of the the general theme to most of them are these crazy fantasy worlds that are not your typical fantasy worlds. Like not like a swords and sorcerers knights uh, type fantasy, but just like the most batshit crazy out of uh, Dolly's nightmare that you could possibly think up. Yeah, tripped out. With incredibly vivid colors, like uh, Miyazaki uses uses just these very bright color palettes and stuff, and it's very, I would call it pleasing to the eye, but it, it's just, it's awesome. Like, the animation is always really good, and whenever I watch the movies, and I've watched a lot of them, uh, it always strikes me at just how imaginative they are, right? Yeah. Well, this game is like watching a movie f- for the most part. I mean, the animation, it is the most gorgeous game I've ever seen. You said that about the last, like, two or three games that you talked about. Name eight games I've said that about. Okay. Assassin's Creed 3. Yeah, that's Ma- it's Mass beautiful Effect, in a different way. Mass Effect 3. Definitely didn't say that about Halo Mass Halo 4. I didn't even talk Okami, about Okami. Deus Ex. I talked about none. I didn't say that about any of those. Um, Chrono Trigger, Flames of Eternity. You need to look at at, at least the screenshots of the game and just I, I, it's just kind of stare in awe at at just what they've accomplished with this because it's so obvious that there was so much love and attention that was taken with this game. Um, I'll give you an example of some of the little touches that that kind of make the game so special, like. Uh, your main character is, is is a young boy. I peg him at around eight. You know, he's probably around eight years old. Um, and he, uh, you know, he's going through these these fantasy lands. And I'll talk about the story in a little bit. But um, when he runs downstairs, right? Okay. So in a in a normal role playing game, when you uh, see someone run downstairs, it basically is just they're running animation as they change elevation on the screen, right? I mean, can can we agree that's kind of the standard way? Yeah, for a lot of games. That games handle them running upstairs. He uh, 
if you've ever tried to run downstairs, uh, it's hard to keep your balance if you were to just not change the way you were moving at all. So a lot of times, if you were to run downstairs, you have to kind of put your hands up to balance yourself. Well, he does that. Like, the, the, there's a specific animation for him to run downstairs. And it's that kind of attention to detail that is, uh, you may not, like, necessarily notice it. Uh, I was just drawing attention to that particular one. But it's all over the place. It's peppered with that. The mm-hmm. game is peppered with that. So it just it, it makes you realize just how how much love and attention there was that that was put with this game. I mean, it is just awesome. It's really awesome. Now, uh, is that is that the selling point? The graphics or, uh, with the whole orchestra, if the whole soundtrack is orchestrated, that's obviously a selling point. And the graphics. How's the gameplay? Okay, so. Um, well, they're never gonna. I mean, they're never gonna talk about the, the full orchestration as a selling point because when you're talking about bullet points that you need to give like three of to get somebody interested in something, that's not going to be one of them. Yeah. You know, not a lot of people pay attention to the music in video games, even role playing games, even role playing game enthusiasts. That's not one of the forefront things in their mind. Uh, those people are stupid. Sure. So, uh, but the 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 score is fully orchestrated, like I said, and it's fantastic uh it's it is um performed by the uh tokyo philharmonic orchestra so they've got like a legit legit orchestra doing it yeah uh and it's it's just it's very good um so how's the gameplay well ask me about a particular part of the gameplay like you're talking specifically <laughs> well okay system? it's it's an rpg right right so pretty much there's battle system how's the battle system um, it's great. It is very uh, interactive, which is when Jap- when you talk about a Japanese role playing game, that is something that I, they typically they lack a little bit of. Yeah, um, are you talking Final Fantasy thirteen kind of interactive or it's different? more interactive? Oh, yeah, it's far more interactive than Final Fantasy thirteen. Uh, you can actually move your own characters around, which is something you could not do in Final Fantasy thirteen. Um, so I would say I would put it at a cross between. Uh, Dragon, in terms of the battle system, a cross between Dragon Quest and uh, Pokemon. Okay, Dragon Quest is the least interactive battle system ever made. Correct. So, and then and and maybe Grandia. Throw some Grandia in there. Uh, can you throw Secret of Mana in there? No. Okay, you lost me then. No, you I can't. haven't played no. Grandia. So we'll talk about. Okay. Uh, so there's, it's it's first of all, it's very complex. Like the battle system is actually very dense. Uh, which, when you look at this game, you wouldn't anticipate. Um, but you, you start out with your, your main character, who, whose name is Oliver, and then he eventually gets a familiar um, before combat even really starts. Um, and you can choose, when there's just one person in your party, you can choose whether you want to fight with Oliver or fight with the familiar. Now, they share hit points and magic points. Um, you're completely free to move around the battlefield. And, and in fact, there's so much freedom to move that uh, if you move at the right time and away from enemies, you can actually uh, dodge attacks. N- not in the sense that you'd press a button and your character would roll or something like that, but just if the enemy is, sw- is like in an attack animation and going back for like a full swing or something, if you run away from it, it'll just swing and, and whiff through air. Okay. Um, so it gives you a little bit of license in... in in terms of uh, of the movement on the battlefield. As an aside, all enemies are on the screen. You run into them and it takes you to a different battle screen, which I love. I don't like random battles anymore. 
<laughs> really? Yeah, I like to be able to pick when I'm going to fight. It, but but anyway, so you're uh, so that's that's one thing you can do. Now Oliver uh, finds out that he has magic powers, but he's an eight year old, so he's not exactly physically strong. Mm. So uh, in in fact, at the beginning of the game, he kind of sucks. Like if if you use Oliver, he's going to take a lot of damage. You're going to die pretty quick, and it's pretty easy to die um, if you're not careful. Uh, so, but the first familiar you get is kind of a, kind of your standard physical attacking familiar, right? Yeah. Uh, and think of familiar, if you want to, uh, equate it to something that you know, think of, think of them as Pokemon, okay? With their own affinities and everything that yeah. better than other affinities. I mean, it's very Pokemon-esque. They gain abilities as they level, uh, you can feed them and teach them different tricks and blah, blah, blah. Um, so... If you pick your familiar, uh, your familiar has certain abilities that it can use uh, magic to use. Uh, it's got four ability slots, but then it's got eight different abilities that can have at any time. You can ha- make them forget abilities and have them learn new abilities, but you can only ever have four active skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can just you can switch in and out at any time. Uh, so your familiar doesn't have any way to heal itself, but at any point in the battle, you can just switch in Oliver, who has a healing spell, heal a few times. Now, keep in mind, you'll be getting attacked at the same time. Right. But you can heal a few times, and then you can jump right back to, uh, to your familiar. So, um, it's really fluid. Uh, it's really easy to switch. I mean, it's just, you hit the L1 button, and you, switch, you, you change to a different character. It reminds me of Final Fantasy X, where you can swap in and out of battle at any time, only the... There's, it's an active battle system, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, in fact, it's also got, it's also got just a little bit of element of uh, Super Mario RPG in it, in that with commands, like, you've got your attack and defend commands, but then you've also got uh, your special abilities, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, if, you, if your enemy's going, going uh, for, like, a special ability... Your attack icon, if you're going to attack with your familiar, it'll light up blue for a split, split second. And if you attack at just that time, your familiar will interrupt the casting of the enemy. Because it'll basically disrupt its concentration in terms of whatever it's casting. Oh, yeah, okay. So, if you want, and I don't think that it's necessary to use that ability. Maybe there are going to be optional enemies later in the game that it's going to kind of test all of your, your battle skills, you know? Yeah. But at the start of the game, that that is absolutely like an advanced technique that you don't even really need to worry about at all. Uh, but um, it's there. And so it, the battle system, you know, it's one of those things where like, it feels as deep as you want to make it. Um, so, and that's just with one party member, you can switch back and forth freely, heal yourself, blah, blah, blah. I just, and again, I'm like six hours in, I just got my second party member. And now when you get, when you get a second, a human, as your party member, they also come equipped with familiars. And the familiars, you find out as soon as you get your second party member, are freely interchangeable. So you don't really need to get attached to your familiars. Like, I was, I was assuming that, like, each individual character would have, like, their own set of three. Because mm-hmm. they each have three slots. But no, not at all. I mean, you're going to be able to... It's obvious that you're going to be able to kind of collect monsters as you would in Pokemon and then kind of mix and match to go to whatever team you really like towards the end um but so the second person will come in and you you end up you're able to pick that other character as your playable character but you are only ever in charge of one character at a time okay that makes sense 
Right. So you can be in charge of a character and its familiars, but your other character will ask, will act autonomously from you. Okay. You have direction in the sense that you can uh, you can use strategies, and this is very Dragon Quest, uh, where there are different strategies like go all out, don't use magic, uh, don't use abilities, like act conservatively, those kind of things. So you'll be able to designate kind of how you want your party member to act, uh, but you can't give them direct control unless you switch over to them because you can switch to them at any time. So technically, you could completely designate actions back and forth but that would be a real pain in the ass yeah. would make battles take a long time it's i don't think it's in the spirit of how they want you to kind of play the game but anyway uh with all with all those different mechanics in there it really makes it so that y- you feel the battles feel great i mean they really do they feel awesome um you feel like a badass in them but you you realize like you've got to be really careful when you're playing it to uh watching health bars type things it's one of those things where if you hit the attack button if, if you like uh if you like direct your familiar to attack they attack about four or five times in a, in an attack cycle so a little clock will wind down it'll wind down for like four seconds and in that four seconds they'll attack you know three or four times okay but you can also cancel out of that to take a different action it sounds very complicated as you mentioned yeah and and uh you you get the hang of kind of the basics of it once you sit down with it and start playing with it, but uh, it's obvious, it's very obvious that it's a deep combat system um, that's going to, that's probably going to, once I get a third party member, because I know you get a third, uh, will really open up and probably be, uh, probably going to feel awesome. It's probably going to be great. Yeah, and that's good. So you, it's challenging and in-depth, etc.? Exactly. And it's cute. So like... It, Ooh, so the aesthetic at I think at first glance uh when and in fact when this game was first being uh shown uh a lot of people thought that it was going to be kind of a kiddie RPG kind of like Final Fantasy Mystic Quest was <laughs> it was people were thinking it was going to be like a, a beginner's RPG it's just going to look really good and there wasn't a lot of hope for it but it is very obvious um kind of from the start of when you get into combat, that it is not a kiddie RPG at all. Um, it's very deep. So that's great. It's uh, for people that like Japanese role-playing games and, that, and have felt like there haven't been enough of them. Um, this one, in terms of difficulty, will, I think, speak to that group of people. Was this uh, part of that project to get JRPGs over to the U.S.? It was not, because it was not that project, the Project Rainfall that you're talking about. Uh, yeah. That that only dealt with games that got made and then didn't have plans to get localized into English. Oh, and that was Wii games only, wasn't it? That was Wii games only. Oh, okay. You're playing this on the PS3? It's only on PS3. Oh. All right. Uh, and I think uh, White Knight Chronicles was also only on PS3. So I think it might be one of those level 5, maybe they've got to deal with Sony. I don't, I don't actually know kind of the workings behind that, but... Um, and they only they only did games on PlayStation Two as well during that generation. So it must be they must be in bed with Sony or something. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And yeah. what was what was the big shortfall of White Knight Chronicles? Was it just panned by critics or it was boring? Okay, literally. I mean, that was that was the biggest criticism of that game was it was just boring. It looked great, but it was it was boring. Okay, and this game's not boring. No, no, not at all. Uh, 
much more active, much much better. So, um, so yeah, and you know, with a role playing game, you're battling eighty percent of the time, eh, maybe seventy five percent. But a lot of the a lot of role playing games are battling, right? We can both agree on that. Yeah, I would uh, I would say probably a good amount, yeah. So it's it's really important to have a good battle system, and I'm glad that they do. Um, now that being said, there's other parts to this game. Um, there is a uh, there's an alchemy system that I haven't even unlocked, but they allude to it in the Wizard's Compendium, which is in the game. I'll talk about that in a second because that may be the coolest thing about the game. Uh, that may be the the coolest thing about the game. But oh no, I, I can't wait to talk about that. We've got to save that to the end, though. Yeah, but so so they've got uh, there's so there's an obvious alchemy system that I haven't even unlocked yet, and again I'm like seven hours into the game, so that's kind of cool. I got that to look forward to. Mm-hmm. There, uh, that that will give you, I guess, some license over creation of items. It's going to let you create weapons, I assume, because there are weapon recipes in there, that kind of thing. Um, there are animation parts in the game where it is. It, it, they completely pull you out of the game engine, and it is you watching an anime. Okay, so it is just you watching a cartoon, which is great. Uh, if if you're talking about trying to present a story, what an awesome method to do that, right? And then there are also cutscenes that are done in engine, uh, and then there are cutscenes that are done out of engine, right? Or not out of engine. They're all done in engine, but then the rest of the game is just done in the game engine. So there are some cutscenes that happen out of the game engine, though. Okay. Um, which is awesome. But they're animated, so it, the whole thing's animated, so you can't really tell, right? Oh, no, you can tell, because the, an- the quality of the animation goes even higher, because it is watching a Japanese animation at that point. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, oh, it is. It's great. It's great. Um, and they start, like, the first thing you see is that, in, that animation, actually, because that's how they introduce you to the character of Oliver. Um, so there's that. The, as far as the the story of the game, uh, it's it's basically starts in our world in I don't know small town USA or England or Tokyo. Just it's some it like it feels like it's set back in like the fifties or something with the aesthetic of the rest of the world, uh, like the car like the cars that people are driving that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but then uh, an unfortunate event happens and it quickly quickly you find yourself in this ridiculously fantastical uh, world, right? Like Spirited Away. Very much so, yeah. Yeah, so it's very much like Spirited Away. Yeah, and and to, to not necessarily talk about the game for just a second, um, I think I I think I realize why uh, if, you've ever, if, you've, if you have watched a number of Studio Ghibli films like me, you, you realize pretty quickly that Miyazaki uses children as his main character a lot yeah he does in in howl's floating castle in kiki's delivery service in my neighbor totoro in uh spirited away in ponyo his most recent one um those were all kids as the main character in that i think princess mononoke is the only one i can think of and i'm sure there were others but that's the only one i can think of where he didn't use a child and i think the reason why he does it is because you can go to all these fantastical worlds and if a, if a child is young enough, uh, he or she is just going to believe that this is possible. Yeah. Whereas if you were to have an adult in this situation, like especially in, in Oliver's situation, for instance, the adult would be incredibly skeptical of everything that it was seen. But there's just this, this 
innocent and honest acceptance of this of this going to this parallel universe, this crazy fantasy land with all these ridiculous creatures in it that is awesome. And it's I, I really think that is the main reason why children are used in in his works. Just as an aside. Uh but it really works. I mean it really like in terms of storytelling it really works because while he does have some skepticism and he is a little wary about just kind of piecing out on his own world. Right. Like it's believable that he says okay to doing this. And now who's he saying okay to? He's saying okay to his fairy uh that when he cries uh becomes a real fairy uh that has been turned to a doll by this evil warlock in this parallel dimension and whatever that's not important. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like labyrinth. Yeah, but that that will that brings me to probably the best part about the game which if you're not if you're not sold on this game yet hopefully this sells you on this game the localization the uh japanese to english the voice actors that they've got are the best i've ever heard in any video game ever and now level five has a pretty good track record with localization dragon quest eight was pretty strongly touted as one of the one of the best uh video game localizations that there was really? they used yeah, they used all English voice acting, um, different dialects of English in that game. Um, it was very well done. This game takes it to a just to a whole new level. the The main fairy guy, uh, Drippy, has a, and you wouldn't know, and I didn't know this until I did a little bit of research on it. Has a Welsh accent. It's it's obvious that it's English of some kind, um, but it's also obvious that it's not normal like english that you and i think of when we think of an english accent yeah but he steals the show he if you don't if you don't have subtitles on have you ever seen the movie snatch i probably a while ago okay so uh well it's not gonna do me any good about talking about it then um what about that one movie with uh with uh uh brad pitt when he plays the irish guy that's snatch that's snatch oh yeah yeah yes then snatch yeah okay so it reminds me of Snatch. If you were to not have subtitles on, you probably would not... And he's speaking English. But if you were to not have subtitles on, you probably wouldn't understand what Drippy's saying. It's great. Um, so with the subtitles on, you like you get a really good... like You're reading the subtitles and you're like, my God, he's talking so fast and he's using all these weird words, but they're English words. Uh, but it just it's great. Uh, and again, the voice acting is incredibly well done. Um, they've got uh, the voice actor for Oliver, who it would be really easy to uh, to screw up a kid, right? Kid voice actors typically not that good. Um, I don't know if it's a kid or if it's just a female that's doing his voice. They're very good, very believable in this in this innocent, naive role uh, as a child, and just all of the rest of the characters. Uh, have these just great personalities, great personalities. Um, to give you some idea of kind of the, uh, the, the fantasy of this world, the first town you go to has a cat that is a king. The king's name is Tom. Uh, and everybody calls the king your meow <laughs> Uh There is 
a desert world, which I have just recently gotten to. There is a king of the desert world. Is it a cow? It is a cow. Everybody calls it your Mujesty. Are you kidding me? No, but it works. It sounds so dumb when you like say it, but with with the 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 fantasy, like the fantasy feel of this world, with how colorful it is, with uh, the 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 children kind of being the main character of the show, uh, it totally works to have this kind of dumb pun humor. It just it does. Uh, so it's great. Uh, I just I can't speak enough to it. Like it's just. The game is just, it's, it's just wonderful. It is wonderful. It, it has an overworld map, which has disappeared from the face of role-playing games. Yes, yeah, seriously. It has wow. an overworld map that completely works. Wait, world map? Yes, world map. Like, the whole world? Yes. Not just, like, a shitty region like Chrono Cross or... It's, I mean, it's divided into regions, but uh, in... In, like, the opening animation of the game, if you just let the main screen go, you can tell you get different modes of transportation, like a boat and, like, a flying dragon or something. And it's obvious that while when you walk, it's connected by regions, you're going to be able to kind of go through the entire world if you were to get a different mode of transportation. That's cool. So, yeah, to- uh, world map, which is awesome. Love it. Like, haven't had a world map in a long time. Uh, kind of miss it. Because at-, at some point, I'm going to be able to just explore a world map and get into trouble, go to the wrong place and, and, you know, find things that I wasn't necessarily supposed to find yet. That kind of stuff is the stuff I like the most about role-playing games. It's the most fun of role-playing games. For sure. That's why Chrono Trigger is one of the best games of all time because of all the side quests. That's true. That you don't have to do in a specific order. You can just kind of like, I want to go to this time period and see what happens and like there's stuff. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I totally agree with you. Uh, but anyway, it's got, it's got a world map, but just like the, the whimsical nature of this game is totally, it is perfect. It is unlike any other role-playing game I've ever played um, in terms of its style. And uh, the, the presentation of it is the like, most perfect I've, I can remember. It, it's, it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. You're digging the game. Is it the game in 2013? So far. <laughs> I mean, Bioshock Infinite might have something to say about that, but that's really? not coming out. That's not coming out for... Oh, dude, yeah. But that's not coming out for another month and a half, so... Uh, uh, well, we still haven't so, talked about your favorite part of this game. You didn't talk about the tone. So, and while I don't know if this is my favorite part, it is awesome that they did this. Um, so, with the collector's edition of this game, uh, you get a big book. Uh, the collector's edition of this game is incredibly hard to find and very expensive, so uh, not many people get that. But in the game, there is something called the Wizard's... I think it's the Wizard's Compendium. Uh, and it is a fully readable, roughly 300 to 350 page book uh, that you can go into at any time. Anytime you've got the, the menu, once you get this book, you can go into this compendium. Um, the way it kind of works in terms of presentation is there's eight, there's, it's divided into eight different chapters. And all the chapters are visible when you open up the guidebook. And you can zoom into each individual chapter, and from there you can then turn to individual pages. So um, rather than have like a like a web page, I guess you'd you'd think of tile style entry where like you would click on whatever area you wanted to go to, you zoom in on the area you want to go to, um, and then you turn the pages. But in this book is basically all it is is flavor for the game. That's that is 
it is it is not necessary at any point to look at this book. But if you like role playing games, you mo- you probably like them because of kind of the world that you get to go into when you go into them. And this is all color for this world. Um, for instance, one of the chapters is uh, stories and tales or something like that. And what it is, is it's, it's this world's version of Aesop's Fables. Now, all of these stories are not available when you, first, uh, when you first open the book. In fact, none of them are. But as you play the game, uh, these stories will fill out, whether you find pages or do certain events, so the stories will get added to the Wizard's Compendium, which you can then read. If you've ever read an Aesop's Fable, it's basically a story uh, uh, with, like, impossibilities of characters like the like the characters couldn't exist uh because they're usually animals talking or whatever but but in the world in the world of Aesop's fables it's always just accepted nobody questions that uh but then at the end there's always a moral like the story the story has a specific purpose for being told if that makes sense and so there'll be a moral at the end of this at the end of the story well of all of these like 13 stories there's a moral at the end of them but they're all fanciful stories that are set in this world um, so that's really cool. That's one of the chapters. Another chapter is um, spells, and it's all of the spells in the game. And uh, while while you can get the gist of the spell from just casting it in battle, like it'll give you a little dis- description of the spell and what it does, uh, or from reading it in the like the quick cast menu that you can open in the game, um, this gives like detailed explanations of the spells. So that's cool. Um, of all of the spells. Uh, there's also there's also like full page illustrations of just random shit in this book, which is pretty <laughs> which is pretty cool because it's completely unnecessary. Like they didn't need to put they didn't need to put the put these big illustrations in these books, but they do. Um, so that's really cool. So how much of it have you read? So anytime a new story opens up, I'll go in and look at us and and look at one of these stories, um, because those are those are pretty quick. They're usually about three pages long. Um, I've gone through, you know, a number of spells and just kind of looked looked through them. Um, I've looked at the alchemy recipes, but they don't really mean anything to me yet because I don't have an ability to use alchemy. Right. There's a familiar chapter, and I've taken a look at the familiars that uh, that I have, um, as well as some of the ones in different genuses that, uh, that there are. I don't know. I've, like, dabbled in every one of the chapters, but I haven't just sat down and read the whole thing. I could do that if I wanted to. Uh, again, a lot of the book unlocks as you're playing the game uh, because, like, the spell... There are, there are pages that are blank in the spell area that, once you get new spells, will open. Oh, okay. So to avoid spoilers. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Now, we talked about this briefly before the podcast, uh, I think a few days ago, and I don't know how I feel about gameplay being interrupted, and I, I know this is totally optional. You've mentioned this is completely optional. You don't have to look at it at all. My big problem with Mass Effect was that every time you met a new creature, suddenly there's six pages of backstory on them and their home planet and their language and their world and all this other stuff, and it was too much because it start and stop gameplay to me. It's like you're running around, you're shooting things, and then, oh, stop and read, like, ten pages of something. Um, that being said... When you describe it the way you do, I'm reminded of the, uh, what the hell was it called in Final Fantasy Thirteen? Codex. The, was it just the Codex? There wasn't, there wasn't a cool name for it? No, I mean, I don't think so. I think it was the Codex just like in Mass Effect. 
It wasn't like the Paradigm Codex or... Yeah, we'll call it the Paradigm Codex. Oh, the Paradigm Codex, great. Um, I do remember a lot of stuff would open up in that, but it was very digestible. How would you compare this in digestibility and, like, quickness to that or, like, Mass Effect? Is it... Are you unlocking short snippets? Are you only, like, glancing and reading a couple quick pages? Or are you stopping more? Okay, well, I'm stopping way less to read the book. Uh, it's, it's not like individual entries about every single thing you encounter in the world at all. Like, that's not what it's there for. Uh, it's there, it's, it, it paints broader strokes uh, to give you an idea of the world. Um, but one of, the, one of the things that makes it different is that, first of all, it's larger. So it's like, again, it's like 300 some pages, like actual pages. Uh, but in Mass Effect and in Final Fantasy XIII, when you go into the Codex, the Codex is told from the perspective of like if you and I were talking. Does that make sense? Like if I were to tell you about a fallacy in Final Fantasy XIII, I may describe it exactly as it is written in that Codex. But in this book, things are described from the perspective of the of like a wizard in that world. Okay. So it's much more immersive and that's probably the best word for it. It's more immersive. Okay. Then no, that makes sense. That answers my question. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, it's great though. It's great. Um, and the game also has, it keeps track of, of, uh, all these statistics as you play, like, um, you find you end up getting like a telling stone that you can access at any time that, uh, like you can look at the different dungeons that there are in the game, the different different dungeons that you've been to, and uh, it'll give you like a percentage map complete. It'll give you a number of chests that you've opened. Of the there are four different chest types, and it'll tell you what the number of chests and how many are in that area that you've opened. So like, if I and I was a completionist when I was younger, I was gonna say this sounds like a completionist's either uh, best dream or worst nightmare. Younger Jonathan would have seen this and been like, "Oh my god, I'm going to be able to play this game for 130 hours." <laughs> Jonathan sees this and he's like, "Fucking a, I might have to play this game for 130 hours." So, uh, but if that's your thing, it's there. Like uh, that kind of stat tracking is there, uh, and better they include it than they don't, right? I guess like, if they can include it, there's no reason not to. It sounds like there's not a whole lot they didn't include in this game. Um, yeah, so far, the only kind of the only complaint that I have is that combat kind of trivializes in the different areas eventually, like obviously you're going to out level the stuff. uh, And then the combat becomes a little less interesting because it's just you pick attack and then your your guys attack. Um, But they've also done something real smart that why doesn't every fucking RPG ever do uh, that that has a battle system where you go into a different battle screen in that once you out-level the monsters by a certain amount, they run away from you, and you don't have to engage them in battle at all. Oh, that's amazing. Amazing. So, like, I had to backtrack through this dungeon uh, because I missed... Um, there's, there's this mechanic where y- you take people's... Uh, like, people are getting broken hearts from this djinn uh, this evil, this evil thing, and when they like, they have part of their essence stolen from them, and like, 
somebody might lose all of their enthusiasm for like life or their job or something, and so they're lacking enthusiasm. And you have to go find somebody that has excess enthusiasm and give it to them, right? Okay. So uh, a person in a, in a town that I had been to that I had to go through this dungeon uh, to get to had enth- had enthusiasm that I was supposed to, and I didn't realize I was supposed to pick it up uh, before I left, like to to go on to this next area. Um, and so I backtracked through the dungeon. And whereas the dungeon the first time took me about 45 minutes, kind of standard uh, dungeon length for this game. Yeah. It uh, took me about 45 minutes to get through. took me three minutes to traverse the dungeon out because I didn't have to fight anything. Three minutes. It was excellent. That sounds awesome. It was great. It was great. And what a great thing to put into the game, I think. Um, so, I don't know. I can't gush enough about this game. Who knows if my tune will change when I'm 55 hours into the game, which from what I understand, uh, kind of... The length of time seems that people are playing this game to completion is about 45 to 65 hours, depending on what, like, what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows if, if I'll change kind of how I feel about it after I play it for that long. But so far, it is just, it is just awesome. It is awesome. Uh, and I, I can't recommend it enough if you can get your hands on it. It's really hard to find right now. It's, it's on back order everywhere because they, I don't think they realized how many people are going to want this game. So yeah. I, what I understand, you really can't find it anywhere, like the, the regular edition or the, the um, special edition. But with the demand for the game, I'm pretty sure if they haven't, if, if the reason is that they sold out their first run, they're going to do a second printing of this game for sure. Yeah. Uh, because it is, it is getting awesome reviews everywhere. I mean, it's obvious that people are really digging it. See, I, I glanced at a couple of reviews when you mentioned you were playing it, and it I didn't see any super stellar reviews. I mean, I think Metacritic gave it somewhere in the 8, 8-ish, but I guess that's pretty high for Metacritic, so never mind. It's pretty high for a recent Japanese role game. I mean, they've been getting dogged for years now. That's true. That's true. So it's just, it's really good. It's really good. And, well, and I totally recommend that you play it if you can get your hands on it. Well, good. Maybe I will. Then what? I I don't I don't know. That's well. Since I recommended you do that, it sounds like a good idea. Yeah, me. maybe it is a good idea. Then what? Then you have fun. Yeah. What if I have fun, huh? Then what? Well, it's a very sad thing, I guess. Because if I have fun, it sounds like you're mad about having fun. Maybe I am. What if I am? That's weird. <laughs> 